All right. Welcome in uh, Notre Dame fans, Chicago sports fans, hopefully any type of fan there is out there. Um, I'm joined here with my good my good friend, uh, Mason Plummer. Uh, you guys are on the or listening here to the uh the, the pilot episode, I think, is what we're going to call it uh, for the uh, the Golden Homers podcast. Um, you know, we're both really excited to to kind of get this up and going. Um, you know, we've been we've been you know kind of friends here for, for a couple of years now, uh, maybe maybe pushing more than a couple of years, and this is something that we've been talking about doing for for a while now. And um, you know, as um, you know, as you guys all know, probably we're big time Notre Dame fans. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big time Cub fan. Mason is a Sox fan, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean we this is something that we've been kind of passionate about. We're not, you know, we don't know how big it's going to get, but we just love, you know, the banter back and forth, and uh, you know, we're we're really excited to to get this going for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that's been in the works for a long time, even back to the the slap the sign days back in 2018. So yeah, it's about about almost four years in the making now and something we always talked about, but I think the timelines finally match up for us to really do this and be able to do it on a consistent basis. Cause I think you and I were both in the same mindset that if we're going to do it, we want to do it right. And now is the time to do it. I think we have a big enough following between the two of us to really make this thing happen. So I'm really excited. Yeah. And, you know, Mason mentioned, uh, you know, the slap, the sign days, that's how we both met. Um, that's, you know, just to kind of give you a little background knowledge on both of us. Um, you know, we, that's, like I said, that's how we met. We, we, uh, we both got kind of recruited of sorts to, to kind of, you know, help with that website. And, uh, you know, from there, you know, we were there for maybe a year or two and then, uh, you know, just kind of doing things for fun. And then we both got, you know, noticed enough to, to join on with the uh, Irish breakdown with, uh, Brian Driscoll, who, uh, you know, uh, gave us a really good opportunity to kind of get our platforms out there from a recruiting standpoint, Notre Dame standpoint. Um, and that, profile um i know mason will probably have you know a little bit different route there as well because he he did some other stuff you know moving on moving on after that um but it built built my profile to where i felt more comfortable talking about you know maybe some cub stuff on my timeline some bear stuff on my timeline just pretty much anything sports related on my timeline um outside of uh you know notre dame stuff so um, you know, that's, that was kind of my background in, in regards to Notre Dame, a uh, bit, bit, been obviously a big Notre Dame fan my whole life. Um, I don't know if me and me and Mason have necessarily the, uh, or, or if me and you have like the similar background in regards to how we became Notre Dame fans. I mean, obviously I live out here in Las Vegas. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not really a, uh, a Midwest tie for me, but it does have like the Catholic Midwest tie. Uh, my family being from Chicago, have a few uncles and stuff like that. A few family members that went to Notre Dame. Um, and then obviously they're all big time Chicago sports fans. So that's where I get the Cubs fandom from. Um, but, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong in, in that, Mason, but I know that me and you have talked in the past uh, in regards to maybe what, you know, what kind of brought you to uh, to being a Notre Dame fan. Yeah, so uh, grew up right in South Bend. I'm 10 minutes from Notre Dame, which I know makes a lot of people that live on you know opposite sides of the country like you a little bit jealous. Um, <laughs> you know, it's right down the road, and that makes it awesome for if I'm not even going into the game, I can go tailgating. But, yeah, uh, my family for generations and generations has been Notre Dame fans and uh, – and that really wasn't the reason that I wanted to cover the team. I think I saw an opportunity and uh, with Notre Dame being such a big brand, I saw it as an opportunity 
to, to cover a team that I'm passionate about and do it at a high level. And I think you and I have both done that. Um, Nathan, you mentioned that we, we both met at Slap the Sign and then moved on to Sports Illustrated with Brian Driscoll. We'll, we're, we're sure to have him on at some point on this show. Uh, he's a great guy and gave us both a great opportunity, which then led into me working for one of the, if not the biggest publication in, uh, in Notre Dame sports in Blue and Gold Illustrated. I uh, worked doing some recruiting stuff there with Mike Singer. I love my time there until I finished, I uh, graduated from Ball State this spring, moved on to some other things. And uh, now here we are with, uh, with the podcast and I'm, I'm super excited about it. But uh, as far as my Notre Dame fandom, yeah, like I said, I grew up in the South Bend area and uh, this has just been kind of my thing. I love talking Notre Dame sports and uh, who better than Nathan Erbach to have on with me. <laughs> Appreciate that, buddy. Um yeah, so maybe we'll, we can move on here and talk a little bit about, you know, how we came up with uh, uh, with the name of our podcast. I know me and you were going back and forth probably for, for weeks once we really Long decided time. to get this going. Yeah, we, we talked about it for <laughs> maybe longer than two weeks when it came to probably some, some really dumb names that we've come up with uh, over the time. But uh, I know, like, um, what was it? You You texted me one day and just said something like about, like golden domer homers or <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's something. what it started with and then you ended up with uh golden homers i was like that's it yeah i was messing around trying to think of something notre dame but also like baseball and i was like golden domer homers and then we ended up shortening it and i think we came up with a good name yeah no, i mean you i know you were really big on either like the pun or the play on words or both or whatever yeah gotta be and it's funny when you first texted me i didn't even think about homers in regards to to baseball which is ironic because i work in baseball i've been a baseball fan like i'm you know i'm probably the biggest baseball fan that anybody knows and and it's uh um i did the homers did just not did not come to my mind i was just trying to rhyme with with domers and you know how big me and you are as as notre dame fans and you know probably homers to an extent but it just kind of it it kind of rolled off the tongue more than anything and then you mentioned yeah it's great with you know being a baseball name and all that kind of stuff and i'm like crap like this is great like i mean there there can't be really any way that anybody wouldn't like this from a from a notre dame standpoint at least specifically yeah, no doubt. And it, it links with both of our main interests. We're both really interested in Notre Dame football, but Notre Dame athletics as well. And then both big into baseball. As Nathan mentioned, he's a Cubs guy. I'm a Sox guy, which lends itself to a good amount of arguments, which you guys will hear. I'm sure it's it's always a good time. It's always in good fun uh, for the most part. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we have a good time talking back and forth and uh and so on and so forth. But, uh, but yeah, guys, so we're, we're, we're not planning on keeping this episode too long. I think we're, you know, I've only been rolling here for about six, seven minutes anyway, but uh, we wanted to bring up a few things just to kind of get you guys, like I said, a little pilot episode, just a little bit of what we're going to talk about on a normal basis. Um, you know, we're going to start first and foremost here with some Notre Dame recruiting. Uh, that seems to be you know, a high level of conversation on Notre Dame Twitter these days with, you know, with the, um, with Marcus Freeman coming in from Cincinnati and just doing a terrific job on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you probably can't name a better, um, you know, linebacker class in the country right now. And that's already, that's already kind of on top of a really good Notre Dame linebacker, um, you know, roster in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the, Freeman's gotta be the next head coach, but you know, it, it just what he's done, um, you know, for Notre Dame football recruiting, he's almost brought this uh, standard of, you know, N Notre Dame does have the academic kind of, you know, issues at times, I think. I mean, there's probably some guys they'd love to go after, 
that, you know, they just simply can't land and maybe they want to land him, but the, either the kid's not interested from an academic standpoint or, or he just can't be admitted uh, from an academic standpoint. And so it makes things tough at times, but I think um, Freeman specifically has kind of pushed that envelope and said, Hey, well, if we don't even offer the kid, we're not going to have an opportunity to land him. Um, and I think that's one thing that me and you have both noticed, um, you know, may- maybe like a Jalen Sneed, for example. I mean, I, th- I don't think that he has any academic issues per se, but he was a kid that wasn't even offered until Freeman came on board. And, you know, he's from South Carolina, not a typical Notre Dame stomping ground from a recruiting standpoint. And then boom, like all of a sudden he gets the offer. And I think it was funny when, when he, when he was first offered, I don't even think we thought of anything of it. We're like, okay, it's South Carolina kid. He's probably going to go to Alabama, Clemson, you know, whatever, somewhere in, you know, either the ACC or the SEC, and then all of a sudden, like two weeks in, we're talking about how Notre Dame's probably his his top choice of a school. And then ultimately, they land him here, you know, a few months back. But, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, what 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 are your kind of thoughts on just kind of like Freeman coming on board? He's been a revelation, really. I mean, I I think that people you get split opinions when it comes to the whole academics thing at Notre Dame. Um, some people call it an excuse, which in some facets it is, but at other times it's not because it is a real thing. Um, I think you and I have talked before that, you know, given uh, let's say arrivals or 24 seven sports top 100 list that Notre Dame can recruit about a third of those guys. And then how many of those guys are really interested? you got to find the right kids that are interested in really bettering themselves on and off the field that, can see that four for 40 that Notre Dame loves to pitch. So there's only a certain amount of guys that want to do that. And some guys that just don't have the academics to do it, but it's about going out there and really pushing the envelope. Like Marcus Freeman is, I think that was a, that was a great, uh, great, great phrase you used there, pushing the envelope where you're looking for a guy like Jalen Sneed that may have not have been on Notre Dame's radar before, but clearly on Marcus Freeman's, he was already recruiting him at Cincinnati. So getting a guy like Jalen Sneed on board, who I think is a five-star player, and he might not be in the rankings. He, I know he's close to it, but in my eyes he is. And he's, he could really be a game-changer along with this entire linebacker group when Freeman's going to be coaching the linebackers. So I think that lands itself really well when, you know, Freeman's this outstanding recruiter among the best in the country, maybe behind Heartline at Ohio State. But I'd say they're 1A and 1B at this point. And that, what a pitch. So he's – a tremendous recruiter, and then he's going to be coaching your position as well. So I think that's a huge reason why he's landing all these big-time linebackers. They see his passion and his energy, and they want to be coached by him. And why wouldn't you? Right. No, absolutely. And I think, I mean, another guy that comes to mind that I think was offered right after the, you know, he, he came on board was Junior Tuli Halamaka. Um, you know, he nailed he, it. I hope so. <laughs> um, I, I feel like it. I'm also staring at a list right now, so that made it a little bit easier. Um, but uh, but no, I mean, I think he was a guy that was offered after Freeman came on board and and turned out to be like just a perfect Notre Dame fit on and off the field. Um, but then I think there's three guys um, that were actually offered prior to that I don't think they would have landed without Freeman. And that goes with, you know, uh, Joshua Burnham. I mean, he was down to Notre Dame and Michigan. I would not be surprised right now if he's at, if he's a Michigan recruit or commit without, you know, without um, uh, Freeman in the fold. And then both of their top defensive line recruits and in, in, in Tyson Ford and, and Aiden Gobera, you know, those were guys that, I mean, I think Gobera was trending Penn State for a long time. and, and Tyson Long Ford, time. Right. No, I mean, he was pretty much off my board. And then Tyson Ford was essentially like an OU lean and uh, or Oklahoma lean. And, and then it just kind of flipped the script right when Freeman came on board. And, and you could argue, I mean, those are five guys. Maybe they're top five recruits in the class in all honesty. 
um, at least on the defensive side of the ball, that ne- none of them would maybe be at Notre Dame without Marcus Freeman. Oh, right. And that's the first thing that they mentioned is that, oh, Coach Freeman, I can't wait to be coached by him. He's recruited me such a high level. He And I think a lot of uh, what a lot of them are saying is that he's not just talking about football. And of course, football is a huge part of it, but he's getting to know them on a personal level, which I think is huge. And Nathan, it's wild to think he hasn't even coached a down for Notre Dame yet. He hasn't coached football, but people are talking about him being that next head coach. And I'm with you. I, I, I want it to happen. But at the same time, it's just amazing the amount, the kind of impact that he's already made, not only on players, current players, recruits, but fans as well. Everybody wants this guy to just sign blank check, just give him whatever he wants. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I know our buddy John, uh, John Kennedy. Oh, he'll be on. Irish. <laughs> he'll, yeah, he'll be on our pod at some point. But uh, no, he's uh, he's pushing the Freeman the Freeman factor hashtag on Twitter, and I'm sure he's having fun with that, especially with all their landing. Um, moving on real quick. I mean, just like with some of the recruiting as well. I mean, I know Notre Dame uh, over maybe the last you know five six years, there's been some some talk about maybe wide receiver recruiting not being the best. Um, I know me and you tend to think that that's sort of been maybe an unfair label uh, per se with at least some of the guys they have landed. Some of them haven't worked out. And I think that's just kind of part of recruiting. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they land two studs, you know, here within like the last week or so. And CJ Williams, um, you know, at a modern day, um, which is like a USC feeder school, it seems like um, they, you know, they, they've landed maybe a few kids out of modern day in the past, but it seems like every good, every good kid out of that program goes to USC. So they, they land CJ Williams, who's the top 100 guy, um, uh, you know, a few days, a few days ago. Um, and then a few days before that was Tobias Merriweather. Um, and, you know, even though they weren't necessarily fighting Washington out from the defensive side of the ball, where they seem to struggle with landing, um, you know, corners and, and safeties that are, um, you know, maybe out of that area or, or that Washington really wants, uh, you know, Tobias Mer- Merriweather, getting him out of Washington when pretty much everybody on the West Coast, everybody in the entire country uh, wanted him. And, and, you know, those are two top 100 guys. I can't really tell you the last time Notre Dame really landed two top 100 guys at wide receiver. So, um, you know, kudos to Tommy Reese as well. Dell Alexander for for maybe getting that done. Yeah, I think it's important to give them recognition as well as much as everybody wants to talk about Freeman. It's definitely warranted. I don't want to take any praise or credit away from him because what he's done on the defensive side is amazing. But Dell's doing a really good job and he's taking, you know, part of the momentum that we're seeing with Freeman and really using that towards the offensive side of the ball as well. And a lot of it has to do with Brian Kelly as well, turning this program around from 2016 into 10 wins is the floor now, which is crazy to think. I mean, I remember that 2016 season like it was yesterday. And 10, 10 wins is the absolute floor now. So getting guys like C.J. Williams and Tobias Merriweather that could be absolute game changers at the next level and guys that a couple of years ago you don't really have a chance for. And now they're in the fold, and I think that's big time. And I think you mentioned that uh, that some guys haven't panned out. And, it, and guys don't pan out at every school in the country. And it just happens that way. And I think a lot of fans – uh, maybe ourselves included at times are uh, stargazing, you know, oh, this guy's a four-star receiver. Why isn't he on the five-star receiver? Why isn't he on the field? And sometimes we don't hear about things that are going on behind the scenes. And I, I you got to trust the staff more. I found myself guilty of that sometimes, you know, asking questions, but things work out for a reason. And uh, they, they know what they're doing clearly. And Notre Dame's trending in a, in a better direction than I can remember in my lifetime. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I was actually kind of going a little back and forth with our buddy Ben Belden uh, last night and early this morning kind of regards to, you know, just early playing time for guys. And I think it might be warranted from a 
to a, to a certain point, especially at wide receiver. I mean, there's probably been some guys that deserve to maybe get some early playing time, or if they do receive early playing time, maybe they should get more snaps. Um, I mean, Braden, Len- Braden Lindsay in 2019 kind of comes to mind as a guy that, you know, he was healthy that year. When, when he touched the ball, it was dynamic. You know, there's a, there, he probably deserved to be on the field a little bit more. But then at the same time, you have a guy like Jordan Johnson, you know, five-star guy on rivals, you know, top 100 guy, you know, on, on every other site and, um, you know, top 50 guy even probably. And, you know, there was just so much high, you know, so much hype regarding his recruitment. You know, I think he was the number one recruit, you know, at wide receiver under Brian Kelly's in, in during his tenure. And, you know, it turns out that, you know, there maybe were some academic issues, but there also might've been some, you know, I guess not anything like that, but he might've been overhyped a little bit. Uh, and we're starting to see that. I mean, he transferred to UCF where maybe he could have transferred to a higher level program, a, a power five school, an SEC, ACC level school. He could have, he probably could have done that. Um, you know, and now, and now there's talk, he's kind of lower on their depth chart this year. And, you know, I think that's a good example of maybe sometimes we have to trust the staff a little bit more. Yeah. And stars aren't everything. And, you know, he might've flashed in a couple camps and ultimately you can't expect these, these guys that go out to these camps and are, are evaluating these players. They aren't perfect. Nobody is. So they're going to get, they're bound to get a couple wrong and usually they're right, but uh, there's gotta be some, some sort of outlying circumstances with Johnson. I think he is a talented player. There's something going on, uh, you know, with him, maybe he's overhyped or he couldn't live up to the expectations or, you know, something, something happened, but you know, you wish the best for the kid. He's obviously a really talented player, but I think it comes down to, he didn't make the most of his opportunity, you know, maybe lack thereof at Notre Dame, but I can remember a couple of times he's got these crackback blocks that are completely unnecessary for a 15 yard penalty when he's on the field and he has an opportunity to, to make a name for himself and, uh, make a good impression in front of the coaches. And then I don't remember who's against, but these, I remember two or three crackback blocks that are completely unnecessary, 15 yard penalty, take away a first down. You can't do that kind of stuff when you're, this is your chance to get, you know, five snaps in a game. If you do well, that turns into 10. And we've seen that in the Kelly era, the Kelly tenure, where if you make the most of your opportunity, you're going to get more. And like, we even saw that just uh, two years ago with Kyron Williams, he dropped that pass against Louisville and you never saw him again. So you have to, it, it takes a tough, strong-headed mindset and I don't know if Johnson necessarily had that yeah and it's not to say I mean I think we're, we're not ripping on the kid either I right mean, it's not it's not to say that he's never going to be a good player you know I, there's got to be talent there kids don't end up five stars or, or high level four stars you know yeah there are misses in recruiting but like all those kids have talent it, it's just like when you make it to the NFL just because you're not a good NFL player doesn't mean you weren't talented there's a reason you're there and right, you're a one percent guy Exactly. And there's so there's a reason Jordan Johnson was recruited by Notre Dame, was recruited by Alabama, was, you know, he had high level major offers coming out of high school. So it wasn't just a Notre Dame recruiting miss. It was a recruiting miss to an extent but to have a terrific career at UCF. He might take over. Um, you know, it's still we're, we're still a month away from football anyway. I mean, for, for we know he could end up being UCF's best best receiver this year and go on to have a, you know, a high level college football career, high level NFL career. We don't know. Um, but what we do know is it probably just was not going to work out at Notre Dame. Right. Um, I think it, I think that's better to get it eradicated, I guess, early on rather than kind of strain him along and everybody continue to ask questions. But, you know, you hope for the best for him at UCF. But at the same time, 
I've, this is something I've been meaning to ask you before. Do you think it's kind of telling that he moved to a program like UCF when he had all the kind of, all the offers coming out of high school? You'd think he had bigger, more more talented school, you know, schools that are really in contention uh, every year, like a school like Notre Dame is. Do you think it's kind of peculiar that he moved to UCF? Yeah, and that's kind of what I was getting at with my point in regards to, you know, maybe he was overhyped a little bit. And like I said, that's not a knock on the kid. I mean, it's, we're just we're just here, you know, talking. And, not his you know, fault. None, none of us have ever played football at a high level in, in that regard. So we can't really – we're not really one to speak, I guess. But, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, there were talks that he was going to, he was looking at Illinois, he was looking at Missouri and he was looking at, you know, UCF and it's like, those aren't high level football programs. So it's very possible that he got on Notre Dame's campus and not only did he struggle academically, which seems to be a, a, a general consensus, um, at least early on which I think 95% of kids that go to Notre Dame struggle <laughs> academically early on. Right. So it's not like he's the only one, but there were, there were rumors of him, you know, being late for meetings or, ca- or causing issues in wide receiver meetings or whatever that may be. And like I said, I don't want to speak on that because I don't know what the full story is, but there's this stuff that we heard through the grapevine. And then there was talk that maybe the staff thought that this was a recruiting miss even off the field. Maybe he could have turned out to be a good player, like a junior, senior as an upperclassman. But from a – he was a five-star. This is what the kid we wanted to build our offensive class around. It, it, it looks like it wasn't going to be the case. And that's where you start getting into these, you know, lower-level power, power five programs. And, you know, and, and um, you know, UCF programs that are not – that are non-power five um, that, you know, could be – that are good. They play – they they play they go undefeated sometimes they try to claim national titles that they shouldn't have (laughs) but flags fly forever i guess even if they're fake uh, so yeah i mean it's not it's not to say that he can't like i said it's not to say he can't have a good career at ucf ucf's a great program it really is um but yeah no i do i to answer your question it is peculiar yeah no doubt about it i think it is weird but um i that Notre Dame is currently building its offense around. That was the jewel of his class, Kevin Austin. Um, I've been hearing good things about him in camp. I'm really excited to finally see him get a real chance. So what are you kind of hearing? What are your thoughts on, on Kevin Austin? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's one of those guys that we, like we just kind of talked about, you know, was a high level four-star recruit and people kind of are just assuming he's a bust or that Notre Dame can't recruit wide receivers because he he hasn't seen the field. But in all reality, it's sort of been off the field stuff with him. It's been injuries. I mean, I think there were maybe even some questions about him from an off the field standpoint, um, whether that be academically or just getting into some trouble or whatever, you know, and and he was a guy that maybe just needed to grow up a little bit. And if he can stay healthy, I think he's gonna have a good, a good, you know, Notre Dame college career. And, you know, maybe that's even a one and done. And he's in, you know, a first or second round pick in next year's draft, because I think he has the talent to do it. He definitely has the talent to do it. And I think selfishly, you and I maybe hope that, you know, he does have a great season, of course, because obviously that means better for Notre Dame. But maybe he decides to come back in 2022 as well and give these young receivers another year to prepare, maybe learn under him and let him really be the true alpha number one and dominate and then move on to the NFL. Because I, th- I do think he has a career in the NFL. I'm just kind of selfishly hoping it's it's a little bit prolonged. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and kind of going on to my point a little bit, and you and I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. That's why I'm asking. I was like, like I said, I was kind of going back and forth with our buddy Ben Belden um, last night on Twitter. And one of the things, and, and it's kind of going back to what we what we've already been talking about a little bit here. But one of the things that really bothers me is like the Kelly hate when it comes to like 
younger guys. But I do think that in general, it's been proven. I mean, obviously there's going to be misses here and there. I mean, I think that's, I, 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 there's, you can name guys off the top of your head that, you know, maybe should have seen the field a little bit quicker. But when you really think about it, have guys like and i'll go both defense and offensive side of the ball here you got you have guys like aaron lynch which was like in his first first recruiting class terrific i mean he ended up he ends up transferring but was terrific his freshman year at notre dame jalen smith manti teo played as freshman terrific players end up being buckets award winners first second round picks whatever whatever the case be you have guys like michael Mayer, uh stud tight end sees the field right away pretty much the offense is last year was was designed around him and Kyron Williams and for a true freshman for you to say that and then also for Kyron Williams I guess for a kid that never played pretty much a snap outside of you know like you said the one drop he had during his actual freshman season to have the the offense revolve just simply around those two for the most part I think it's pretty incredible from a recruiting standpoint um you know, one, one true freshman, one redshirt freshman, Kyle Hamilton, another kid that came in with a, with a bunch of star status was a five-star guy on 24 seven sports plays right away. Um, you know, to a lesser extent, maybe like a Chris Tyree got a lot of playing time last year behind Kyron Williams. You know, maybe he didn't get the, the workload that some guys do, but the, the, I guess the theme I'm really getting at here is all of those guys were consensus top you know, pretty much five-star guys when they came in. I know Kyle Hamilton had like the lower rating on rivals. I think that kind of sunk him down just a tad. Um, but like Michael Mayer, consensus five-star recruit. Jalen Smith, Manti Teo, cons- consensus five-star recruits. Aaron Lynch, consensus five-star recruit. That's like five, six dudes out of 11, 12 years for, for, for Brian Kelly. And people want to complain that those are the ready-made players and they are getting on the field. Alabama gets like three or four of those a year. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Right. And so like, it's hard to compare the two when I don't think it's an insult to Notre Dame to say, Hey, like they have to develop their players a little bit. Do they get extremely talented players that like maybe in the grand scheme of things, when you look back at it, were five-star talents. Sure. Chase Claypool. Probably should have been a five-star – or was a five-star talent by the time he graduated. Will Fuller, Golden Tate, you know, guys like that. They were five – graduated from Notre Dame in the sense that, you know, they went on to have terrific NFL careers. They were highly drafted players. You know, those are guys that, you know, maybe they just take a little bit longer because maybe their body's not fully physically developed when they're, when they're in high school. Um, you know, maybe they were in a run-first offense where they didn't get the exposure – so they, their route running was maybe not as not as developed as as you know some other guys. Um, actually, another good example. This wasn't a Brian Kelly guy, but Michael Floyd saw the field early on at Notre Dame. So I think there really is a trend that these ready-made players that come to Notre Dame they play unless yeah, there's you, an off-the-field issue or something. You're definitely right, and they the coaching staff can see that immediately. They, they can see, oh, this guy is a dude; he can play with these guys, you know, you bring in an 18, 19 years old when you're a freshman, he can play with these 22 and 23 year olds. And not only can he play, but he's dominating and Kelly's hitting on the right guys. And I think it's just, it comes down to fans will never be happy. And I think you and I might be guilty of this sometimes as well. You got to find something to complain about the programs in the best spot it's ever been in. So you're not going to, you can't complain about, you know, wins and losses. I mean, you lose the big games against Alabama Clemson, but whatever. Um, You got to find something to complain about because, 
Notre Dame's in a good spot, so you want to complain about the freshman not playing. But Notre Dame has adapted this mindset, especially at the skill positions, uh, just recently kind of, you know, kind of Mike Bray's of the basketball team's thing of get old and stay old, where yeah. you, you get these guys that develop in the program, they learn the schemes, they learn everything, they really develop, get stronger under Matt Bayless, get faster, and then you see a lot of guys their junior and senior season really break out. Like, I, I was genuinely concerned about Javon McKinley, where he was a, a really highly recruited guy came into Notre Dame with a lot of hype and he didn't do anything his first three four seasons and then he breaks out last year and scores a good amount of touchdowns so there's guys like that where sometimes I mean there's a a whole ton of different circumstances every player is not the same but there's different things that lend themselves to them playing early or not playing early and you can tell when a guy's a dude or not like I'm, I'm already hearing good things about Lorenzo Styles. I think that's going to calm a lot of people down if he's a guy that's you know on punt returns if he's catching passes from the slot scored a couple touchdowns this year I think that's a guy he's already a fan favorite partially because I know I'm a big name guy that's a cool name so that's part of it it's got to be Lorenzo Styles catching a touchdown like that's just that's cool so um, I, I think that's going to calm a lot of people down a little bit if he sees some action this year and I think it's totally possible yeah no absolutely and you know another one that comes to mind because i think it's usually like wide receiver and quarterbacks that usually get the right the kelly treatment of like oh they can't play early and you, know, you get like a, a phil Dracovic and it comes to mind of a guy like that doesn't play early and then you know maybe develops into something at boston college but jimmy clausen obviously different regimen different different coaching staff played as a true freshman at Notre dame so it's possible they get guys that are the number one ranked kid in the class like a jimmy clausen He's going he's gonna to see the field early on. I don't understand what what people – I feel like that should be a, almost like look in the mirror and, and and realize, you know, not everybody can play right away. And and I think the one thing that I would agree with people on is and, – and this is probably where we'll, we might get some backlash on this or me specifically – is it doesn't necessarily have to be that they're the star of the show. I mean, Kyle Hamilton, Michael Mayer, those were guys with like Jalen Smith, Matthew Tateo, they were stars of the show from freshman year on. But maybe some other guys could have a more of like a Chris Tyree role. And, and that maybe needs to be a little bit more prominent. Yeah, I agree. Um, get, give your guys a chance. A good, a good example when you brought up Kyron Williams, don't shun him for life or for, for the year because he drops the pass. And obviously we're not in every, we're not in every practice. We don't know everything that's going on. It could have been like, maybe the moment was actually just too big for him that year. Um, and, and I think that's where our understanding comes in. We think maybe they should, and I hate to use the word again, push the envelope with some of these kids, you know, put, put them under the fire and see if they can respond, but don't just, don't just get away from it. If they don't respond the very first time, try, try it again. However, I think me and you are understanding of the fact that the coaching staff is at every practice. They're, they're on the sidelines during the games. They probably know 96% of the time what's best for the program. Yeah, and if, if, if we don't think that they know what's best for the program, what, they're going to put themselves in the best chance to win. They're not doing this stuff just to make fans mad. Oh, I'm not going to play Lorenzo Styles because I, I just don't want to. It's not like that. They're going to they're gonna play the best players to give Notre Dame the best chance to win. And if that's not a true freshman, it's not a true freshman. Of course, should they play a little bit more at times? Yeah, probably. But I, I trust the staff because, like I said earlier, this program's in the best spot that, that I've ever seen it, given I was born in 2000. But um, <laughs> this program's in the oh, best man. spot that I've ever seen in, in my whole life. So. Showing the age card on yourself, Mason. 
I know. I, I, I pull it out sometimes because I, I feel like I'm going to get comments. You don't remember 88? Like, no, I don't. Hey, I don't either. I was born in 93, so if I have to pull out the age card too, I will. Well, that should be a natty too. 93 should have been a natty, so. Should have been, but I was four months old. <laughs> right. Um, I think we've talked a little, maybe maybe a little too long about some recruiting. We probably got on some tangents here that we. Uh, oh, we could go for hours. If right. that's what people want, we'll do it. I love it. I love it. But, uh, you know, but, you know, I know we're probably hopefully or here, hopefully in the future, we'll have some Cubs Sox fans. I know that there's some over overlap here with some Notre Dame fans as well, considering me and you are, you know, Cub and Sox fan uh, as well. Um, you know, we have plenty of people that follow us that are both. Uh, and I know that just from, you know, the dialogue that I've had with with people. And I'm sure you're the same. Absolutely. Uh, Sox had a pretty nice game yesterday. Uh, yeah. I mean, take couple years off my life but uh, I definitely enjoyed it the presentation was awesome I'm not I wasn't sure exactly where they were going with Kevin Costner taking 45 minutes to walk (laughs) to second base but then the camera kind of panned and then you see all them all walk out of the out of the cornfield it's so well done by Fox Uh, I've had enough of ESPN broadcasts and Fox Fox nailed it it just makes me excited for the postseason the White Sox haven't been there in forever and it felt like a postseason game it was a it was a battle with the Yankees who They've had a tough season, but I think they're in the best division in baseball. They're, they've been getting beat up a little bit, and that's a really good team, and they showed it. And the White Sox gave them all they could handle, really. The White Sox threw their best pitchers and still just about lost it and probably should have lost it if it wasn't for one hanging pitch that Tim Anderson takes out of the ballpark. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I got simultaneous, simultaneous text messages from you and John. Yeah, when uh, when Hendricks gave up the lead, he had like four runs or whatever in the ni- in the top of the ninth, and <laughs> I had no. I was actually I was doing something else. Where I was doing, I, I stopped watching the. I was at a bar with actually with some coworkers watching like the first part of the game early on, and I I went home and I was like, ah, oh, you know, the Sox are up like seven to three. Uh, I don't have cable. Do I really want to try to stream? <laughs> Do I really want to try to stream this Fox game right now? Not a White Sox fan. I don't really care that much. Get a text message from from John first, and then I get one from you next. And then maybe five maybe five minutes go by. You text me. Oh, it doesn't matter. T- T- Timmy Anderson's about. He- he's clutch. He's gonna walk this off. And then like boom. Three seconds after you send that text message, it's a fucking bomb, and I'm sitting there. That was like, surreal. If you can't, if you can't, like, if that just makes baseball romantic, in my opinion. I mean, I know that was like just a text message between between friends, but that was <laughs> it was something. And like, even as a Cubs fan who could care two shits about about the White Sox just in general, and and I want to make this clear, I'm not a White Sox hater by any means. I'm not. I, I didn't grow up in Chicago, and there, there's no part of me that's like, oh, I, I hate the White Sox. I just don't really care. It's like every other team. Like, I, I don't care about the the Boston Red Sox either. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, so my only, like, back and forth for, is more for fun because now with this Notre Dame Twitter that I have and having friends like you and John who are big White Sox fans, I see a lot more of, like, the White Sox-Cub hatred between the two, and and, it, and it's fun. And so, but no, I mean, that was, uh, that was a really cool moment. And I know it kind of maybe triggered a little Kimbrel, uh, Hendricks, uh, uh, debate on who should be the closer. Uh, what's, what's kind of the, uh, what's kind of the deal there with, uh, uh, and White Sox, uh, on White Sox Twitter for that. 
Oh, it was ugly. It was ugly. Um, Hendricks has a knack for throwing the home run ball, and I think some of those are unlucky. Uh, I think the one he threw before these two most recent, which hurts to say, was like a batting, like expected batting average of like 170. There's a handful of those. So he's getting a little bit unlucky, but he's he's the kind of guy that's going to come right after you. And in a way, I respect that. Like he's going right after you. He's all amped on the mound. You see him cursing all the time, just right. constant, just amped up. And I think he was a little bit too amped up for this one where he's just like, <laughs> you know what, like like FU pitches down the middle. And you don't throw FU pitches to Aaron Judge and – so, so I think it's a learning experience. I don't think <clears throat> I don't think Kimball should necessarily take over the ninth immediately. Yesterday, if you asked me that, I would have said yeah, because I was pissed. I think that you give Hendricks another chance at it. He's still your guy, but if he does it again, I mean you have what you and I both believe to be the best reliever in baseball right now. Like Kimball was disgusting in the eighth inning and against a Yankees lineup that's really good. Um but back to the uh the Tim Anderson point, I think that might have been my favorite moment as a White Sox fan that I that I really remember like I remember 05 vaguely um another one that comes to mind is the Eloy home run against the Cubs that was cool um but there hasn't been a lot of great White Sox memories for me in the first like 19 years of my life so I'm really enjoying these last these last two years and that was a that was a really good moment the White Sox are coming into a really tough stretch right now next couple weeks and uh, I think it it could have taken a little bit of a spiral not that it would have mattered in the division but He'd like to keep the momentum up, and what a moment for Tim Anderson, man. He he deserves that, and a good, good moment for baseball as well, man. I, who else could you have wanted from that White Sox team? He's the biggest star on the team. He's such a big personality. It's just so good for baseball to continue to try to build the game or hashtag change the game, whatever they're trying to do, and market around Tim Anderson and just continue to, to grow the game. I think baseball is in a really good spot right now, and it got a lot bigger uh, last night as the biggest uh, viewing for a single game in like 16 years. Yeah, no, I mean, dude, and like you said, I mean, maybe the only other guy, at least from a White Sox standpoint, that could have done it would have been Eloy. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no, Tim, Tim, Timmy's kind of like your Dexter Fowler, I feel like, from 2016. Um, you know, just the you go, you, the you go, we go. He's your yeah. leadoff guy. I mean, he's better than Fowler. Like, I'm not trying to compare the two from like a, like an actual like value standpoint. No, I get, I get the sentiment. But, you know, like if, he's not on. If, if he if he's not having a good game or a good playoff, White Sox probably aren't winning the World Series, and I think that that's probably a sentiment that most most White Sox fans have. And I think that ironically enough, even though Anderson, like I said, is a much bigger star overall than what Fowler was, wasn't going to have a good playoff or like a good game. Like it, you almost felt like the Cubs are going to lose in 2016. Um, and and to to that point a little bit, I know I texted you this yesterday. Um, I, I fully believe that Kimbrel should be your guys's be your closer. And I, and I mentioned this to John as well. And I, and I told him, I was like, listen, dude, this isn't like a, me being a Cubs fan and wanting to see my guys succeed type of argument. Um, I, I tried and I compared it to the, the, the Chapman trade in 2016, the Cubs had Hector Rondon in 2016 and, you know, people might not remember this, um, but he was he was honestly maybe the best reliever in baseball for about a year and a half. From the twenty fifteen the twenty fifteen team, he was great. Halfway through twenty sixteen, Hector Rondon was like maybe the best closer in baseball. But then you go out and trade for Chapman, which by a name basis and by, you know throwing one hundred three when he wants to, 
there was just like, you got to give that guy the nine. And while there might've been like a statistical standpoint that said Rondon was the better pitcher at that point in time, there was just no way you make that trade. You trade Gliber Torres in the deal, who was one of your top prospects, um, you know, along with a couple other guys, you know, there, I, I think you just got to get, I mean, Kimbrell before he gave up that three run bomb to, to, to Austin, Austin Romine or what Andrew Romine. Unbelievable. Um, yep. Was the first home run in like three years, uh, five years, maybe. I think it was like 2017 or something. Um, his first home run in, in that amount of time, which was just a crazy moment. But um, if if he if he didn't do that, I mean, he was literally on pace for like maybe the best statistical relief pitching season in the history of baseball, or at least in like the modern era. And, right. I, and I think that there's something to be said about that. No, there definitely is. And I, I think – I just don't know what you do with, with Hendricks then necessarily you're paying him all this money. I mean, I give him a shot in the eighth. Maybe I just, I think of him as a ninth inning guy. I think, I mean, I see Kimbrell that way too. I, I think that's kind of like a football situation where if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. So yeah. uh, I think it's a lot of White have, Sox fans, though. right. It's it is a good, a good problem, problem to have. I think White Sox fans are a little bit concerned about that, but uh, Hendricks said on the broadcast last night that if he can't, that this is before he fell apart, actually, he said, if, if Kimbrell and I can't figure it out, then go ahead and throw Kopech in there because he's better than both of us, which is a great, also a great problem to have. Yeah, no, I mean, you're just, I mean, after getting, you know, the two, the two Cub relievers to pair and Kimbrell, I mean, that really, really solidified your guys' bullpen, I think for the, for the playoff run. I mean, you already had a decent bullpen, you know, in, in general, like you said, with Kopech really coming on this year, um, finally healthy, I guess is really the reason. Right. Uh, you know, and, and obviously Liam Hendricks has been a, a terrific uh, relief pitcher, you know, just throughout his career. And then you add that with, you know, guys like Bummer and guys like, um, I don't know, you know, their, you know, their, their bullpen. Uh, well, even their, Ronaldo Lopez has made a resurgence. He was terrible last year, like a seven ERA. And then all of a sudden he, some guys just are better out of the bullpen. They started, they begin their career as starters and he's a, he's like a long reliever now, just throwing gas all of a sudden. Like I've never seen it. It's so weird. It happens, man. I mean, guy like guys like Andrew Miller, you know, they just don't work yep. out as work out as you know starters, and then they come into the bullpen. They're just better players. They can ramp up. They maybe throw two, three miles, three mile, two or three miles per hour harder. Um, it happens, but no, I mean, you guys. I think you guys are pretty much set it in, in the bullpen. That's that's a tough that that's a tough bullpen, man. I mean, Bummer I know has had some consistency issues this year, but he was great last year, and now not having maybe like as a the load on him that he would have had, um, that that should help. Same with Crochet. I mean, dude, the guy was drafted last year for crying out loud. I mean, I think he's going to be fine, um, you know, and in a little bit more of a like subdued role, I guess, for lack of a better word. I mean, I think he's going to be good for you guys. I mean, I know you traded, um, you know, Hewer or whatever, however you say his name in the, uh, you know, in the Kimbrel deal. And even though he was having a bad season, he, he was a good player as well. But I mean, you're, you'll, you'll trade Kim, Kimbrel for him all day. So, um, but no, I mean, I think that the, the Sox, if, if they won the World Series, no one should be surprised. I mean, that, that team's pretty loaded. I mean, top to bottom, their lineup is crazy. And it will be for a while, which makes me excited because the most of the core is locked down till at, at minimum 2025, but most of the guys 2027. So you're hoping that this sticks around for a while. You get four or five years of serious contention and hoping for, you know, a, a World Series or two. I mean, I'll take one, um, but I'd love to for – 
you know, multiple. I think that's the goal. And um, the, the team's really built for the future. And I, this is last year, you could say, was the first year. I mean, that was a kind of a – that was a weird season, you know, 60 games, a, a, a real sprint. That was the first year of contention, you could say. But I think this is the real first time we're seeing them really go for it. And uh, I'd be curious to see what happens because you could argue that the White Sox don't have an important game, a must-win game until October, which I don't really like because the division is so terrible. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, and it's really crazy, man. Like, I understand, like, the, the Cubs Sox stuff, but it, the, the similarities between the, the this Sox team and, like, the 2015-2016 Cubs – I agree. It's so crazy. I mean, I know like the 2015 Cubs, no one thought that they were going to be like ready that year. Like they knew guys were coming up. It was Chris Bryant's rookie season. Um, You know, in 2015, they had just signed John Lester. Um, You know, they, they had all these young guys coming up. I mean, and and, um, they, they traded for, I know Jason Hayward. I don't know if he was on the 2015 team or not, but I know they had him prior to 2016. I know he didn't end up being the guy that they thought, but it was a, a big signing at the time. And, you know, no one really thought that they were going to be what they were that year. And that's very similar to what you guys were last year. I know I was a little surprised at how good the White Sox were. I didn't necessarily expect them to be a playoff team, you know, year one, um, you know, when, when they got when they had all those guys up. And then all of a sudden this year, same thing as the Cubs in 2016. There's a good argument to be made that you guys are World Series favorites and the Cubs are the same way. Um, you know, in 2016, they were, they were world series favorites. They were by far the best team in baseball throughout the entirety of the season. I think the only issue you guys might run into is the Dodgers are pretty damn good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No kidding. Just, just try out 13 all-stars, whatever it is. (laughs) Right. So you make it there. The Cubs didn't really have to deal with that. They got the Dodgers before they were the Dodgers. They were still really good, but they didn't have to like run into the, the insane Dodger team that they are now. Um, and then on the, the, the AL side, I mean, yeah, they played the Indians who are a really cool story. And, and that world series itself was just a really cool story between two teams that hadn't won it in so long, yeah. but in general, like I think the Cubs were far and away the best team in baseball that year, like just overall are probably far and away the best AL team right now, at least from like a paper, like looking at it on paper standpoint, I think there are maybe some some more obstacles in their way. Yeah, I think so too. And unfortunately, the Houston Asterisks, the Astros, I think they're they're going to be a big problem. Um, they're really hitting their stride right now. I hope they cool off, but uh, I, I think the White Sox have the better team on paper. But man, they're still so good. And as much as I hate Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa, Bregman's not even fully healthy yet. Uh, Michael Brantley will never go away. That guy just hits 300 <laughs> with with his eyes closed, and it's just ridiculous. That, that uh, top to bottom, it's a good team. They still have the starting pitching somehow. Uh, it's just it's a, it's a great team. I don't want to play them. I hope they just get upset and lose. And if we lose to the Dodgers in the World Series, whatever that team, that's a super team. I don't care. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I kind of want your take on this, and then we'll we'll wrap up with a brief talk of the Cubs since it's sort of depressing, but. <laughs> Um, but you know me, I like to find optimism and uh, I'm a big uh, prospects guy. So I don't mind talking a little Cubs prospect and Cubs rebuild for at least a few minutes before I start making stuff up. But, uh, <laughs> um, no, I mean, you, the, uh, Mason, I lost my train of thought depressed about the Cubs. I'm not going to lie. You had a, the depression gotcha. Um, <laughs> you had a question for me about, I don't remember. Well, I guess I don't know what it was. 
All right, we'll move on. We'll move on to the Cubs. <laughs> Let me know if you think of it. I will. I will. Um, so, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of Cub fans that are going to be following this podcast as well. And then we'll do our best to, to kind of have equal share of both teams. Uh, like I said, right now, the White Sox obviously are kind of in go mode and, you know, really right. should be good. Like you mentioned, five, six years down the road, probably better suited uh, to have a dynasty of sorts than the, than the Cubs did from a locking their players up standpoint, all that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, as we all know, Cubs traded their, their core. Um, of Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and Javi Baez uh, to the Mets, Yankees, and uh, Giants, respectively. Um, I will say I do think that Jed Hoyer did a pretty tremendous job in what he got back in return for those guys. Um, and if you include, like, maybe the Darvish deal um, as well, gotten in some of the more minor deals. Um, I, though I wouldn't say Kimbrell's a minor deal. They just didn't get prospects back in return. Um and now that the way that Jed Hoyer's talking, I mean, I think even today he he had a quote saying, "Don't don't put this year the way we're playing right now," which is pathetic, by the way. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, actually, no, I want to refer. I don't know if it's pathetic. I can't blame the guys. They're putting a roster together that probably couldn't beat a double A team in most games. But um, so I don't want to necessarily crap on the dudes that are on the Cubs team. They're guys. A lot of them are young players or or guys that haven't really had a huge opportunity to be big time big leaguers. Um, so a lot of them are getting their first taste of of, of high level play um, on a consistent basis. So I don't. I, I try not to rip on the team too much because it's really not their fault. It's it's the Ricketts. It's the front office. They 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 are the ones that tore the team down from a competitive standpoint to what it is now. But. I do think Jed Hoyer did a really good job of the players they got in return. Um, some of them are farther away, um, but the way he's talking, he wants, he, it seems like they're going to spend some money or at least attempt to spend some money. Um, and I don't know if this is the type of rebuild that they had starting when Theo and Jed took over, like in 2010, 2011, whatever it was. I, I really do think this team can be somewhat competitive next year. And when I say somewhat competitive, I mean like when you watch it, you're not going to sit there and want to just throw up. Um, they, they could maybe win 75, 80 games, but like that's not going to get you in the playoffs, of course, but it might at least be trending up. Um, and a lot of it's going to depend on what they do. I mean, they, they have one of the best prospects in baseball in Brennan Davis. I think he'll be up by mid next year. That kid is going to be a stud, in my opinion. You, you got Nick Madrigal back in the Kimbrell deal. Probably will be their starting second baseman, possibly a DH type with Nick Horner playing second base a lot as well, unless they move him to short. Um, but there already have been some rumors that Hor- that because Horner is so good defensively at second base, they don't really want to move him off of there. And then if they go out and maybe spend a m- some money here and there, it doesn't necessarily have to be a Carlos Correa, but you know maybe they bring back one of the big three. Who knows? Maybe they maybe they go out and sign a guy like uh, I don't know a Trevor Story or a um, the the many many shortstops that are available. Corey Seager. I know Corey Seager. You know most people probably assume he goes back to the Dodgers because of the money that they have. But he's been pretty adamant about wanting to play shortstop, and that seems like it's not going to happen with Trey Turner there. Um, and Trey Turner is a way better player. So I think at this point, one hundred percent. Trey Turner is a top ten player in baseball. I mean, that's tough for Seager. He's been there for a while. But if you want, I mean, if he's dead set on playing shortstop, then you got to move on. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, maybe he moves on to a team like the Cubs can, can guarantee him some shortstop time. And you know, that, that sort of just accelerates the process of being better. Um, but the, the one thing I really, really 
find interesting, and this will kind of tie in the Cubs and the Sox, because um, I definitely want your opinion on this. I find it funny. L- look back from like 2011 to like 2016 with the Cubs, and it's like they had like this consensus just stud farm system once the O and them took over. You know, they, they had all these guys. They all came up around the same time, just like the Sox guys have. You know, you had Chris Bryant, Ian Happ, Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Hendricks, um, uh, Kyle Schwarber, Jorge Soler, Addison Russell, Javi Baez. All those guys were, you know, they didn't always, they didn't all work out to be like the mega studs that people might have thought, but they were all huge contributors to the to the championship team. Um, they made some 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 great trades uh, around those time frames, like obviously getting Chapman. Rizzo was technically a trade. Kyle Hendricks with a trade, but they were prospects when they did trade for them. Um, Addison Russell, the same thing, um, you know, and then, you know, they, they, they end up winning a world series with it stud farm system. And then we, I think we all realize that when you become a, when you become a really good team, unless you're the, the Dodgers, um, your, your farm system ends up kind of deteriorating a little bit because you trade assets to get players. Cubs did it with the Jose Quintana trade. They traded Eloy Jimenez, who's obviously a tremendous player for the White Sox now, and Dylan Cease and a couple other minor league guys I don't think are really going to ever do anything. But the two big point of that was Dylan Cease and, and Eloy. They, they made the attempt to go get Jose Quintana and and make their team better. So that that kind of took their system down a little bit as well. Fast forward and you have the White Sox. The White Sox, you know, Farm system. They have guys like Eloy, Tim Anderson, the trade for Moncana in the Chris Sale deal, uh, Michael Kopech, Nick Madrigal, who's now obviously on the Cubs, which is kind of funny because they did the cross t- the crosstown trade again. Um, you know, and I'm sure you can name several other prospects that they've had that have come through. But then they go out and they make like the 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 signing that they need to do, like the Cubs did. The Cubs signed Darvish. The Cubs signed Lester. You guys have signed Lance Lynn, who's been a really good player for you guys. You sound you signed Dallas Keuchel. Um, Carlos Rodon was a really good prospect that's now seeming to hit, you know, the way he that people thought he was going to hit. And it's funny because now you look at the White Sox farm system. Uh, Andrew Vaughn's another good case. They're all they're all up in the big leagues, and now all of a sudden their farm system's kind of back to being you know somewhat mediocre. Oh, it's not even mediocre. It's bad. Right. No, I, I was trying to be nice. <laughs> no, I, I do. I can tell it like it is. <laughs> right. And and now all of a sudden you have the Cubs with all these trades. It looks like they're probably a top 10 farm system now. Maybe they're not the best. They're not the they're not up there with the Rays and like maybe the Padres and, and, and teams like that yet. But they're they're getting there. They're getting close. And, you know, so they might be a couple years away with some of these guys. But it's just funny how both teams have had this like good farm system, bad farm system, now good good farm system for the Cubs. And then it's like, so far it's been good farm system for the Sox. Now it's a bad farm system, but you guys are elite and we'll see how the farm system grows here over the next couple of years to see if maybe you guys can do something a little bit different than the Cubs did. Um, but I imagine, you know, that it's going to probably build itself back up again. Yeah. I think it's uh, the comparisons that, that were drawn here are definitely interesting. And I think it was interesting. I'm just thinking about this now, what Hoyer did. I mean, given that the jet Hoyer, given that the Sox farm system isn't great uh, at the moment, but to target two major league guys who are already contributing, I think that's, that's big. Madrigal's going to bat 300. And if they Cubs want him to, he'll play shortstop for you guys for the next 15 years. That's just the kind of player that he is. He's going to play solid defense. He's going to hit 300. He'll hit like two bombs a season. And then <laughs> he has above average speed. So that's the kind of 
probably not an all-star guy, but he's a he's like an above average second baseman. And a lot of times that's what you need. You need those core guys that, you know, they get on base and then they get on base for, for your big hitters that end up hitting in the home. So, and that's a player um, I think that that's important. Missing. Right. And that, that's a guy like the Yankees are missing, for example. But uh, back to, to the Sox farm system, I think it's impressive what Rick Hahn has done. It's like their last like eight first round picks have all contributed this year to on one way or another. And a lot of that's been due to injuries. But guys like Jake Berger, Gavin Sheets, these guys that weren't really considered to be players that were going to make any sort of impact. Andrew Vaughn, Garrett Crochet, those were guys that were maybe considered to make an impact, but guys that were pulled up and they're like, Hey, we need an impact from you. And they, they made it happen. So that's why I'm kind of getting like team of destiny vibes from the white Sox right now. Like Jake Berger had, hadn't played professional baseball in like three years. He tore out both of his Achilles and like both ACLs or something crazy. And he was a really highly regarded prospect. And he comes up to the, to the Sox and he's hitting bombs and like game time, game winning bombs. Like that just doesn't happen. I think it is a, a little bit team of destiny vibes. I don't know if you're kind of getting that too, but makes me excited. It makes me even think more about the Cubs because that's exactly how I felt in 2016. It was like everything just kind of came together. I mean, you had Bryant win a Cy Young. You had two guys in the running for – I mean, sorry, Bryant won an MVP, not a Cy Young. He can do a lot of things, but he can't pitch. Um, I was going to say, that's impressive. <laughs> I missed that. Right? <laughs> Um, but they had two guys. I think, I think that was the year that John Lester and Kyle Hendricks both finished like two and three in the Cy Young. And it was the year after Arietta uh, won the Cy Young award. Shout out Arietta RIP. Um, <laughs> RIP in peace. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's really funny. Some of the parallels both these teams have. And I think the city of Chicago just in general should embrace that to an extent. Um, and, and maybe I should embrace that. I think I've talked myself in sort of to, to kind of enjoying what the White Sox are doing just in, in this uh, 50 minute podcast we've been doing. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's fun. You and I go back and forth, and it's kind of a shame that we weren't really buddies yet when the when the Cubs were going through theirs. But it is kind of cool to like bounce things off of you because I like to think I know baseball pretty well, but you know the ba- the game of baseball very well as far as teams, farm systems, and young guys. And you're teaching me stuff all the time, so it's cool to be able to like bounce stuff off of somebody who really cares about baseball and is really gives me a different perspective sometimes because I think one way and you know you think another and then I, I kind of learn something so it's been cool to go through this process and it draws so many comparisons to the Cubs which is just so wild yeah no absolutely and uh you know just a, probably a good area to wrap up on but uh but yeah no I mean Mason it's I'm really excited to start this podcast with you I don't want to get too sappy here but uh um just just really excited I, I, I know we've been like I said we've been talking about this forever um and uh, it, it was past due uh, to an extent, but this is kind of the the time frame that you know me and you both have some some time in our lives that you know, and it, it's sort of just bantering on the phone anyway. So it's it, it doesn't seem like it's too much work, and um, you know, really excited. Um, I don't know when our next pod's going to be. The we're going to try to get you guys a pod here once a week. Um, might not be same day, but you know, Friday seemed like a pretty good day to do it um, overall. Yep. And, uh, you know, we're just, just so everybody is aware we are recording, you know, here on, uh, on a Friday evening, it probably won't be up until either tomorrow or, or, or Sunday. So a lot of this stuff might be, uh, past news, but, uh, but bear with us. And, uh, uh, you know, we plan to, you know, to, to, to bring you news on a weekly basis and then talk about your favorite teams and, uh, you know, some of our favorite teams. Um, we're going to talk about some fantasy football as well. We'll probably talk about just NFL in general. I mean, I know Mason, I'm, I'm a Bears fan. Mason's a Steelers fan. Um, you know, so we might bring some Chase Claypool to this podcast a little bit, which is nice. Uh, maybe some Cole Komet as well. And, 
but I uh, got no. a little bit of everything anything that anybody likes really uh, like the premier league started back uh, today being friday and right. I, I know that you're not i don't think you're as into it as i am but um talk a little bit of spurs talk a little bit of chelsea i think we've got a little bit of something for everybody yeah absolutely and we're gonna we're gonna have guests on all the time i know we've already have some guests maybe set up a big um, one i don't want i'm not yeah. gonna give it away but it's a big one yeah, absolutely. And I know we have some other people that have already reached out saying that they that they want to be on with us and, um, you know, just kind of, I guess, you know, for shoot the shit a little bit. But uh, um, Mason, where can everybody find you at? Yeah, Mason Plummer underscore on Twitter. That's where you're going to find me a lot. Um, sometimes some bad opinions, but I'm act I'm active on there a lot, and I and I just like the interaction. I've kind of adapted to uh, our buddy our buddy John that Nathan and I both mentioned his way of thinking. He just likes the interaction. You know, I might uh, I might have a hot take or two, but comment back and give it to me. I, I like the I like the interaction, and uh, I think you'll see Nathan and I going back and forth on there a lot. But uh, yeah, Nathan, go ahead and give him your at too, and you know they'll be able to find it because we're always talking shit. Yeah, and we're not we uh, very similar ads. We're not we're not too clever with ours. I'm Nathan underscore on <laughs> Nathan underscore Urbach. So we got Mason underscore Plumber and Nathan underscore Urbach. Um, but yeah, guys, this is the uh, the Golden Hummers podcast. Uh, you know, follow us. Uh, we will hopefully be up on Spotify and uh, you know Google Play and uh, you know Apple Music wherever you find your podcasts at Apple Podcasts I should say wherever you find your podcasts at we should be on here soon might just take a couple days for the approval process to go but uh, like I said give us a follow uh, comment however you'd like give us a five star review hopefully and uh, like and like Mason said come and chat with us on uh, on Twitter give us your ideas on what you want to hear on the podcast but uh, but Mason I think it's been a great first one for a good first pilot episode and uh, look forward to, to talking to you with you here in a few, in a, in a few days. For sure. Hope everybody likes it. Like you, like you said, it's been the golden homers podcast. Appreciate you listening and come back next week. We got, we got some really big guests coming. We're excited. Awesome. See you guys.